Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And we're looking at this morning what it means to be discerning. So I want us to look at verses 1 through 3. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. And so Paul is warning them. We've already talked about, and you've studied Gnosticism and what it means to deny that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus Christ is God who came in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. He is God, just as God the Father is God. God, just as God the Spirit is God. They are three in one, mind-boggling. But we are the created creatures, and it's very difficult for us to really grasp the Creator who spoke all that we know into existence. But just as we sang, we have His power dwelling within us through His Holy Spirit that Jesus said was given to us to teach us everything we need to know. So he can enlarge our understanding so that we can grasp the truth that we need to live in our times. So we need to test the spirits of our age. And as believers, we need to understand the time. At the end of your handout, I have a couple of books that I have recommended to you, and I'm going to actually read something from Rosaria Butterfield's latest book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. And if you don't remember, because I've quoted from her before, her first book, um, The Confessions of an Unlikely Convert, it's her testimony of how she came to Christ. She was formerly a lesbian, a professor of queer theory at Syracuse University, and wrote an essay uh, an editorial, actually in the Syracuse newspaper, and a Presbyterian minister responded to her editorial basically with questions encouraging some dialogue. And so she said she had her hate mail and her love mail, and she was kind of putting everything in a pile if she looked through the mail that she got and even the emails that she received in response, and she didn't know what to do with his. And so she ended up finally one day reaching out to him because that's what he had requested. Long story short, after two years of just really developing a friendship with this elderly pastor and his wife and reading the Bible through five times in two years. She was radically saved. And she said she read the Bible until it began to read her. And she saw God for who he is and herself, lost and without hope apart from Jesus Christ, and was radically saved. She's now married to a pastor. They've adopted children. She is brilliant. And she said when she first got saved out of that lifestyle, she would call people who were transgender by their preferred pronouns. She has since repented of that because she said, I realized I was actually reinforcing a lie. It's not true. But listen, this is what, that's kind of the background of what I'm about to share with you. She said, my reason for changing my mind, and that's what she's talking about, using preferred pronouns, can be stated in two words, Obergfell and Bostock. Obergfell versus Hodges was in 2015, a Supreme Court ruling, as was Bostock, Bostock versus Clayton County, California in 2020. 
because of these two landmark Supreme Court cases, the former establishing gay marriage and the latter LGBTQ plus civil rights, we are no longer discussing terminology or vocabulary. Rather, we are talking about ideology and idolatry, which must be confronted in the case of the former and killed in the latter. Listen to this. After Bostock, which was in 2020, we have nearly 100 pediatric gender clinics in the U.S. when we used to have one. After Bostock, we had government schools putting LGBTQ plus propaganda in anti-bullying programs where parents cannot exercise authority over their child by removing the child from them. After Bostock, we have ROGD, all caps, which stands for Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria, and nothing short of mass hysteria capturing the minds of our teenage girls. Now listen, Christians must read the times. We need to understand the times in which we live so that we know how to honor Christ in the midst of them and live lives of truth. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1, because one of the things that Rosaria points out in her book are the three lies that our culture, current culture, has adopted that are evident in Romans chapter 1. The first one being the exchange of the creator for the creature or the exchange of God worship for idol worship. The second is the exchange of truth for lies. And the third comes the exchange of natural sexuality, heterosexuality, for dishonorable passions or homosexuality. Now I want us to go back and begin in verse 19 of Romans 1, and let's read this passage. Well, I have to go to 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. So within us, within our conscience, we are aware there is a God. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So we have the evidence in our conscience as well as in nature, in all that has been created. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The enemy works in darkness. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's lie number one, exchanging the worship of the creator for the creature. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Second lie, exchanging truth for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, because we exchanged worship of the creator for the creature and truth for the lie. Because of this, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... 
God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. This is evidence of a culture in which God has removed his hand of protection and is giving us over. So when you see homosexuality and sins of the flesh rising to the forefront as they are in our culture, it is evidence that we are being given over. But there will be other sins that are evident in that culture as well. Paul goes on to say, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. We know in our culture, not only do they give hearty approval, but they expect us to as well. And we are called bigots if we don't, when in reality, we hate them if we don't speak the truth to them. Because love always speaks truth, especially when the evil one is deceiving people into darkness and sin that will lead them to hell. Rosaria said, a world that grows in its homosexuality and gender confusion is a world judged by God, given over to sin, and increasingly barren and corrupt. So you will actually hear, in fact, Elisa Childers, who was here last fall, interviewed Rosaria recently. And you can go to Elisa Childers' podcast, and it was just a couple of weeks ago that she interviewed Rosaria on this book. The podcast is fabulous. I listened to it twice. It's really very, very good. But one of the things she says is, when we identify ourselves by our sin, we're glorifying the sin. So for me to say I'm a gay Christian, that's an oxymoron. They don't go together. It would be the same as me saying, I'm a kleptomaniac Christian. I'm a gossiping Christian. I'm an adulterous Christian. You don't identify yourself by your sin. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you are a child of God. You are a saint. You are beloved. You have been chosen. You have been set apart. You've been given the gift of eternal life. You've been grafted into the very lineage of Abraham. This is who you are if you are a believer, This is who you are if you are in Christ. So we don't allow our sin to define us. We are that no more. In fact, that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says. Listen to this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You may have had a sin that defined you prior to coming to Christ, but once you turned your back on that sin and you chose Christ and you chose to walk with God and to obey him and to line yourself up under the authority of his word, that sin no longer defines you. In fact, you have rejected, you have uh, forsaken that sin and God has forgiven you. And if he has forgiven you, he has wiped the slate clean. So to go back and call yourself something you've already been forgiven for, is to open that door again to that sin, which is exactly what the evil one would want to deceive you into doing. So that's where those of us who have 
family members, loved ones that have been deceived by the enemy. We cannot get caught up in that and feel like we're being loving by going along with them. Love them. They are image bearers of God. Love them. Serve them. Pray for them. Share the gospel with them. But you do not approve of the lie. You always speak the truth. You speak it in love, and you tell them that nothing will ever, ever cause you to stop loving them. But you will not condone what will eventually lead them to an eternity separated from God. We cannot. We cannot. And we don't love them if we do. Last week in chapter 3, verse 10, it says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So verse 10 says, by this, the children of God are obvious. It's evident. So by this, by what? Let's jump back up to verse 9 and see. It says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, the Holy Spirit, abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God are known, and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who doesn't practice righteousness. So if you're a believer, you're not practicing sin. Does that mean you're never going to sin? No. We're still sinners being sanctified, made more like Jesus every single day. It doesn't mean that we're going to be able to live in sinless perfection, but it does mean that if we do sin, we immediately confess it so that we may walk blamelessly with our God. Not perfect, but blameless. That is with all revealed sin, confessed and asked for forgiveness so that God wipes us clean, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If you, I know you've noticed, and we pointed this out in our, in our study, that 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are full of contrast. Light and dark, truth and a lie. I mean, you just, just contrast after contrast. I would encourage you to underline them. I actually have them written in the margin, all the contrast as you work through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We are children of God, the children of the devil. We're going to, it's going to be obvious, it should be, by our life, who we belong to. So what do children of God do? They speak from God. What about children of the devil? They speak from the world. They speak like the world. Children of God have the spirit of truth living within them. The children of the world have been caught up into the spirit of error. A child of God practices righteousness, while a child of the devil does not practice righteousness. But what did we just read? Practices sin, defines himself by their sin. A child of God loves his brother. A child of the devil does not love his brother. We are to be known by our love for one another as well as our love for the lost. And it should break our hearts to think the evil one has deceived them and has bound them in darkness. But we've got good news. As we move on into verses 4 through 6, let's pick back up in verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, these false spirits, this spirit of the Antichrist, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You know, I think sometimes we hear some of these words like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we don't realize Paul was talking about learning contentment in that. It's not about just being powerful and being able to do whatever. Did you know that this greater is he is, that is in you is that the Holy Spirit within you is greater than sin and the false spirits who are out in the world? That's what he's talking about in context. So greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They, these other spirits, are from the world. World. These people, these false teachers, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit 
of error. So we are those who lift high the spirit of truth and we overcome. How do we overcome? By his spirit who lives within us. And that word overcome, it actually means to conquer, to overcome. We have total and abiding victory through Christ. But we have to understand we are at war. We are at war. This past Sunday and Monday, these last two days, we were actually in Louisville, Kentucky. Our daughter Allie's father-in-law passed away last week, and the funeral was yesterday morning. So all of us congregated there Sunday, and Lindsay actually flew in and stayed in the hotel room with Steve and I um, to be there for the funeral. And so she and I stayed up kind of late Sunday night talking. But I was so excited because she she reads and studies the Bible, and she's in Bible studies, and she disciples, and so we always have so much to share, what we've been reading, and we, all of my girls have my sign-in for my Kindle, so we all read a lot of the same books, and we're able to talk about them, which is just so fun. So Lindsay and I were talking, and she said, you know, just how important it is for us to guard our minds and how we need to fill our mind with truth so that we can discern the error. And she would say one of the things she does that is anytime she's doing a mindless activity, cleaning, doing laundry, folding, whatever she's doing, she's listening either to a podcast or a sermon. She wants to keep feeding her, herself with truth so that you not only are learning, knowing truth, but you recognize the lie because you know the truth. Lies can be so slippery, so deceptive. And I think a lot of times the enemy plays on our emotions by making us feel guilty if we stand for truth because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Would you rather hurt their feelings or let the enemy deceive them to hell? I mean, let's be honest about what we're dealing with here and about what the Bible says. So we have to know the truth, and we have to be equipped to share the truth in love. So we have to understand the times in which we live, and we have to guard our minds and keep our minds focused on truth because our minds are prone to wander. And it's easy for us to get caught up just like the rest of the world into discontentment and envy and jealousy, and we sometimes want to call them little sins. But little sins grow. And they can become a stronghold if left undealt with. And this is what Lindsay has coined. I'm assuming this is original with her. I've never heard it before. She said, Mom, we all need a solonoscopy. Some of you have probably experienced a colonoscopy. <laughs> where they take this little light and camera that goes up into your intestines to make sure there's no cancerous, precancerous growth, polyps, anything in there that should not be in there to see that if you're healthy or not. And she said she went on a retreat uh, a few months ago for pastor's wives, and it was a small group of women where they did in-depth study, and they actually used Sylvia Gunter's The Little Foxes of Sin. In Song of Solomon, there's a verse that says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. And so Sylvia lists a lot of the little sins, and they worked through these categories in time alone, and then came back together and prayed through it. And she said, I left there feeling so cleansed, so in tune with the Holy Spirit. I felt like I'd had a solonoscopy. <laughs> we might all need to do that. Spend some time alone with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light on some little sin that we have dismissed, that the enemy is using as a foothold in our life to lead us into greater deception because that's exactly how it works. We cannot reason with our flesh, coddle our flesh, convince our flesh, we crucify our flesh. We have to die to our flesh, to our own reasoning 
and instead align ourselves with the truth of God's word. This weekend, we had Catalyst, and it was fabulous. For any of you who had children or grandchildren here, it was amazing. I was here for it with my 10th grade girls. It was awesome. Daniel Harris, though, shared an illustration that was so pertinent for what we were studying. And he talked about stray cats. And I don't know if you've ever had a stray cat come to your house and whine and look pitiful and scrawny, and so you feel sorry for it, so you feed it. And once you feed it, guess what? It's yours. (laughs) It will not leave as long as you feed it. Now, Daniel confessed he's not much of a cat lover, and I'm sorry, I'm not really either. In fact, we had a rescue cat a couple of years ago because we had a squirrel that was getting into our attic, and it finally got caught in a life trap, thank goodness. But And we had somebody come out and look, try to figure out where they were coming in, found it, sealed it up, and the thing was still getting in there. And so a sweet woman came up to me and said, I know somebody that does rescue cats. And you can get one for like $30. And they've already been to the vet. They have their shots. They've been chipped and everything. And all you need is put that out in the backyard, and you will not have any squirrels in your house. And so I was like, oh, that's, that sounds great. Hey, I don't mind an outside cat. I just don't want it in my house shedding all over my house. And so we had this cat. Well, she, was, she stayed around for a while as we fed her. But then she would disappear for a period of time, and, and then she would come back, and you know, I would feed her. And you can't just leave food out there because then you're inviting raccoons and other things to come in. You know, So I just fed her when she when she was out there. Um, and so, but then she disappeared for a really long time. And so when she came back, I opened the door and she darted in my house. She had never, ever done that before. And I was like, okay, somebody's letting her in their house. <laughs> she has gotten real comfortable at somebody else's home. And sure enough, she disappeared. Every once in a while, she saunters through my backyard. <laughs> and I mean, literally looks like she's prissing through, like, I found a better deal. I ditched you. <laughs> The interesting thing is, our sin is much like a stray cat. If we feed it, we open the door to it, it's going to come right in, and it's going to make itself at home. We have to starve it. So for us to be able to starve it, we have got to understand what it is that we're tempted by. What are our weaknesses? James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's my lust. It's your lust that is enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin gives birth to more sin and results in in death. Lindsay and her family started feeding a stray cat a few years ago, and so she decided she finally needed to kind of, and it was really, it was really wild. It didn't really want them, and when it finally got up to where the kids could pet it, she thought, you know, I I need to make sure it doesn't have like diseases or something, so I'm going to take it to the vet. So she put it in a kennel, took it to the vet, thinking it was a boy cat. No, it was a mama cat. She was pregnant, (laughs) and six babies later, you know, they have, that's what sin does. That's what sin does. It conceives and it has more. It gives birth to more. That's exactly what it does. So if you find your sinful desire is awakened by something, music, movies, certain places you go, things you read, if it stirs up a sinful desire, don't do it. Mortify the flesh because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against an evil one who knows our sin struggles. In fact, your lust, your sinful struggle, is probably not going to be the same as mine. And mine 
may not be the same as yours. There are some that are pretty general because of just our fallen nature, but there are specific sin tendencies that can be a result of the family that we grew up in, kind of the way we were programmed. It can be because something we were exposed to or something that happened to us that makes a specific sin more enticing. We need to know ourselves and know how the enemy comes against us. So not only do we need to understand the times in which we're living, we need to understand our own sin and how the enemy schemes against us. Because that's exactly what Paul told the Ephesians, that they needed to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. And he is scheming against you with very specific temptations that hit you at the point of your lust, just like he targets mine at the point of mine. So we need to ask the Lord to show us what it is the enemy is using against us, and we need to be able to stand firm against those schemes. So we know that we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against an evil one who comes against our flesh and he targets us, and a lot of times it's through our minds, through thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, we have talked about this before, but I want us just as a reminder, how do we do that? We've got to immerse ourselves in the truth of God's word, have a plan for reading God's word, for studying it like we're doing now, so that you're immersing yourself in the truth. Listen to solid Bible teachers, to podcast. Immerse your mind with truth so that when you hear the lie, you recognize it. And the moment you recognize it, what do you do? You reject it. That is not from God. I refuse that thought. And then you replace it with Scripture. You come back with, it is written, just like Jesus did. You're going to quote Scripture to whatever that lie is, and you replace that lie with truth. And then the one that Steve added when he went through this was rejoice. Give thanks to the Lord that he has given you the power to overcome. Why? Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. If we will rely on the spirit of God living within us, we will live from the victory that has been already, that has been purchased for us through Christ. But if you try to do this on your own, you're going down. You're going to be feeding the cat and it's going to multiply. (laughs) The enemy's coming after you. Why? Because he's the thief. And what's his goal? His end game is destruction. He comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. There's chaos in our culture. That's the opposite of God. From the very beginning, what do we know about God? God is a God of order, a God of systems. He speaks shalom, well-being, peace over our lives. And when we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit with all revealed sin confessed, that's when we experience the supernatural peace that passes all comprehension. That's when we don't fit in with the world because everybody around us is stressed and anxious and depressed and numbed with all kinds of things, whether it's things that they buy or things that they take or things that they drink or things that they eat. They're numbing themselves because they don't want to deal with reality. But the beauty is the evil one has lied to us. There's hope, there's joy, there's love, there's freedom on the other side of death to the flesh. 
That's what resurrection life brings to us because we are in Christ. And the moment you were baptized, you died to your old way of life and you were raised to new life. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Begin to walk in the newness that Jesus Christ has given you. The reality, the truth of who you are in Christ, not identified by past sin or shame or guilt. That's the evil one, not wanting you to know who you are, not wanting you to walk in power and anointing, not wanting you to be powerful in prayer, powerful in sharing the gospel, powerful in teaching the word of God. He wants you to be impotent, wallowing around in guilt and shame, reminding you of your past. Instead, you say, oh yeah, it was bad, but it is under the blood. And because I am in Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. I am free. I am whole. I am a child of God. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Live from that truth. Make it a part of who you are. And anything that you allow into your life, the question is not how close can I get to the edge before I step over into sin. The question is, does this draw me closer to Christ? Will this make me love him more? And if it doesn't draw me closer to Christ, doesn't create in me a desire to love him more, then I have to ask, why am I doing it? Am I investing in those things that are eternal or am I getting caught up in things that are temporal? Will it lead me closer to the Lord? That's why we must know our hearts. Take your workbook, if you will, and open to page 160. In our study this week, you had some basic truths we must believe. I want to encourage you, you don't have to memorize these, but these are basic truths. Maybe take a picture of it and save it on your phone. Read through them periodically. This could be a good test for things that you're hearing in the culture, maybe even for a Bible teacher that you've been listening to. Do they pass the test of these basic truths of the gospel? And I would encourage you to look through them Think about them. Don't just casually read through and forget what you've read. This is a good test to run the things that you hear through. There's only one God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are not multiple ways to that God. There is one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. And God's word is inerrant and inspired. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the virgin-born son of God. He was 100% God and 100% man simultaneously. He died for our sins, was buried. God raised him eternally from the dead. All people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the just penalty, the paycheck, for, for sp is spiritual death, separation from God. You know, if you work a job, you expect to get a paycheck, right? If you're sinning, the paycheck, the penalty, what you're going to receive is spiritual death. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Because Jesus Christ died for us, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. He bore our sin debt, so we no longer have to bear it. That's how we can be saved. All true Christians will devote themselves to good works and will persevere in the faith. We know this is true. And what we've just been reading in John, he said they went out from us because they were not of us. If you're a believer, if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, you will persevere. You're not going to do it perfectly, but you will persevere. You will love Jesus Christ to the very end. I heard a pastor say recently in talking about Ephesians 5.18, where it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He said, how do you become drunk with wine? You drink a lot of it. <laughs> 
So how are you filled with the Spirit? You drink a lot of Him. You immerse yourself in the Word. You immerse yourself in prayer. You walk in the Spirit. You ask the Lord, Lord, let your Spirit come to the forefront of my life because we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. And if we focus on the Spirit, the Bible says we will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. So we must be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit so that He changes the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we respond and react, because we're filled up with the Holy Spirit. So here's your resources. Um, Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Lisa Childers, and then the one I mentioned by Rosaria Butterfield, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. And this is what Rosaria says about her book. This book offers one simple answer. The world is in chaos, and the church is divided Because we have failed to obey God and value his plan for how men and women should live. We are created in the image of God, male and female. God assigns that to us at the moment of conception. And in eternity, in eternity, you will be male if you are male and female if you are female. You are eternally stamped by God in his image. And one day, as believers, when our faith becomes sight, we will be glorified just as he is. And that's the day for which we live. That's why we do everything we do right now is for that day when we see him face to face. Listen to Isaiah 45, 18 as we close. For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. You alone are God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we thank you because we are in Christ, that we have been sealed by your spirit. Lord Jesus, we have been invited in, brought into that Trinitarian relationship of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And now, Lord, we're asking you to fill each one of us to overflowing with your spirit, that we might be so immersed in your truth, that we would be truth bearers who love people enough to speak truth, to pray for them, to share the gospel with them, that they might spend eternity with you, that they might be set free from the schemes of the evil one, and they might know real life. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Use us as ambassadors of your grace. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.